This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Maggie Dent. I'm a parenting author and educator and very proud mum of four sons. This is Parental as Anything, the podcast that helps you be the parent you want to be, not the one you are some days. <laughs> We need to have a good look at extracurricular activities for our precious kids. And the dilemmas. Which activities? How many activities? When to start? What to do when our kids don't want to go anymore? And oh, yes, the parental stress that it can create. Excellent, boys, excellent. How many do you have on the go? So my son, who's seven, has just finished basketball. He does Auskick and he's just about to start his first footy season. Um, he does swimming and he does keyboard. And Charlotte's just about to start ballet and she's just about to start Auskick. I kind of work my life into it. So, for example, one of the netball trainings is at 7.30 in the morning, half an hour drive away. So what I do is I get ready for work, full face of makeup, I'll drive her to school, she'll do netball training and I will walk for an hour in my walking gear and then just walk into work and get changed. One of my children was just, I want to play the violin and that's what he's done since prep and he still does. And none of us play the violin and I was like, are you sure you know what a violin is? (laughs) And he's great at it. Uh, Once a week they go to a spiritual class um, which teaches the Bhagavad Gita. My children are half Indian, so it's a Hindu part of their culture, I suppose. All day Saturday is pretty much football, and you know, in the evenings it's basketball. Or um, actually, my oldest son does drama as well. And my life is uh, is them a lot of the time, and that's fine. That's really good. But uh, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of time as well. Yep, that sounds familiar. I remember those days well, and so does Dr. Helen Street. She is an applied social psychologist with a passion for well-being and education and improving the mental health of adults and young people alike. So remind me, Helen, uh, who do you have at home? They're girls, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah. I've, got, I've got three daughters. I'm, I'm lucky to have two adolescents. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and one baby, one still in primary school. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of discussion, isn't there, about extracurricular activities? I, I, absolutely. And I feel that, you know, there's no single answer that's going to suit every yeah. parent for every family for every child. But there's more certain guidelines, I think, that we can use to help us when we're sort of forging our own pathways with our kids. Have things changed from, I mean, I know... I'm a little bit different because I was raised in the country on a farm. So we were able to have two afternoons that mum or dad could come all that way to pick us up because the bus would have yeah. left us. So we were limited in our choice, but we were able to do something and we chose what we wanted. But the other three afternoons, I guess, living on a farm is like an extracurricular activity anyway. So I think the pressure and the choice and the range has just like blown up exponentially now. So I think it gets confusing at times, don't you think? I agree. I mean, I grew up in the countryside as well and yeah, had a similar issue of we were just too far away from anything for there to be a huge amount of choice. But yes, I think that there is this, 
a sense of going back in time where the things you chose were things available within your community, whereas now the information we receive and the options we receive spread far beyond that. And you sort of tie that in with this sort of sense of wanting to keep up with the Joneses, which is now not just the people next door, but the people across social media and Facebook and this wider world. And it can seem a really high-pressured thing to make good decisions for your kids rather than simply maybe in my day just saying, yeah, sure, you can go to Brownies yeah, <laughs> without too much thought either way, really. Oh, that reminded me of getting kicked out of guys because I kept following the boys. Um, you know, parenting is a bit like a competition because of those dynamics, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, well, like- it can seem that way. Yes, it's a, a sort of pressure to be thinking, yeah. am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the best thing? And, oh, my goodness, you know, my, my gorgeous girl's best friend seems to be going to five different activities in the week and I can't get my child to one. Am I inadequate? Is this okay? Totally. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. Whereas I think maybe let's start off by looking at why people will say extracurricular activities are a good thing. So some of the reasons they can be a good thing are because they give a child an opportunity to form a sense of who they are, positive relationships and interests outside of school. They can also be just really good in themselves for um, learning new skills, um, in particular learning how to get on with other people, um, learning, um, taking up music, sport, so there's all the benefits of exercise. And certainly that when it comes to something like music and some activities, arguably some sports, if you don't start when you're fairly young, it's quite hard to reach a really high level. So there's also that sense as well that if you're really keen on something, it's, it's good to be giving it a go when you're quite young. Mm. So there are definitely some really great reasons for having extracurricular activities in your child's life. How much is enough yeah. becomes a sort of like, <laughs> you know, see. the impossible question, doesn't it? And and when we're looking at that, we have to be very mindful of, of our children's capacity, how much they're engaged in what they're doing and liking it, what their reasons are for doing what they're doing it. Are they doing it because certain friends doing it, because they feel that they'll get a sticker for doing it, because they love it? And maybe most importantly of of all, how, how are your children travelling in general? Do they still have time in their week to have fun and be creative and to simply hang out with nobody telling them how to structure their time? Is there an age? You know, like, you know, I know there's temperament and characteristics and maybe children who come from families with more siblings are a bit better yeah, at those things. Yeah. But is there an age that you would suggest there is too early? Well, gosh, I'd say preschoolers, you know, um, generally speaking, really want to hang out with family as much as they can. But again, like you say, there's very different temperaments in kids, aren't there? And I think some kids naturally find being surrounded by other people, just like adults, relaxing. And I know to say my oldest daughter, if she's stressed out, then one of the ways she likes to relax is to be to be surrounded by her friends. Whereas my middle daughter, when she's stressed, relaxing for her is getting away from everybody yeah, and having time on her own. me. Yeah, it's a bit more me too. But I thought that was my age partly yeah. as well. But yeah. Um, so who your child is counts a lot. And if you have a child who just thrives on the company of others, they then may actually be re-energised by going and doing a lot of social things. Whereas somebody who actually finds that quite effortful might really need that downtime and personal space. What has definitely changed is that we've kind of like pushed our formal learning for children down earlier. So they are more exhausted after school. There's nothing left in their little tanks when they get home. So the world has changed for our five-year-olds particularly. Maybe we need to give that a consideration as well. Totally, totally. If your child is waking up tired, that's not a good thing. 
Um, if you're having to shout them awake in the morning, that's not a good thing. And absolutely might simply be they're going to bed too late, but it might be they have too much on, yeah. too much in terms of too much structured adult-led activity. And I do think that we frequently underestimate the importance of play and play at all ages, at all ages. Play meaning doing stuff where you've got choice, you've got control, where it's your decision because that is fundamentally the most important way that kids learn. That free time's not time out. No. It's actually a or central happening. part. Exactly. It's a central part of learning. And back in my day in the 1970s, growing up in, in rural England, a kid would spend about four hours a day just roaming outside after school, outside of school hours. Now that's less than half an hour a day. So maybe the bigger question is not how many extracurricular activities should we have or how much time playing, but just fundamentally, what is a good use of a young person's time? Many parents are working um, after school, so they don't always have that after school time. Yeah. And I think that's why I've been such a huge supporter of, um, you know, the out of school hours care programs that are actually designed again to create a safe space for our kids to hang out and do stuff. And I'm I'm absolutely loving some of the things they're doing. For a while, it was quite structured, whereas now I'm starting them to see that children are starting to have a lot more input into what are the activities that we do. So if the child does want to have a quiet, calm afternoon, that's absolutely your choice. And if you want to get engaged with the cooking of pikelets over here, you can. And we're out the back if you want a game of soccer. So a child has some choices in that. A bit of an extended version of being at home, but with a much larger cohort. I'm a little bit concerned again that when I started looking at all the activities that there were some that were geared towards helping your child get smarter. So do more around... things like extra tutoring, really. School outside of school. And then I just felt, whoa... So is there any research out there that can show that that can help our children become exhausted or disillusioned or burn out? So that's a good topic to look at, yeah. So when I'm thinking mainly of, you know, talking so far about extracurricular activities, Mm. we're talking about hobbies, whereas certainly there is an increasing number of parents, I think, who send their very young kids to extra tutoring. And I understand that that it comes from a place of wanting the best for your child and then that and thinking that that best means creating as many opportunities as possible, of seeing education in a way as a race and thinking if I start earlier and do a bit more, then then my child will get across that finishing line first. But the reality is that we know that it gives a sort of false impression of progress. So certainly kids who have extra tutoring in those first three years of school often are seen to be ahead of some of their peers in terms of their reading ability or their numeracy. But those differences start to diminish from about year three. And you'll find that then the kids who have had more free time and creative time, who have sort of built that underlying foundation for learning more solidly, are the ones that start to really take Mm. off. So that by the time you get to year six, that sort of final year of primary school, you've got the kids who had the most creative time, the most symbolic play in the early years, who are the ones who are really flying academically. So it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And it's it's about learning in a smart way. And I think that's about the whole child. Yeah. You know, because that's focusing on a kind of cognitive, cognitive, sort of as if you're your brain. Yeah, yeah, on a seat and and therefore get that because that will be measurable. But we can't measure creativity or problem solving or um, all the things that come from all the other activities that our children can do without necessarily being structured. Can I throw in also times of year? Because, I mean, obviously I can still remember 
how much harder it was in the winter months when it's dark at five o'clock. I got crabbier. That means that gets more stressful. So I, I found that what I had to do really honestly, and I, you know, put a family meeting with the boys and said, you know, I, you know, I work full time, your dad works full time. And fortunately, I was a teacher, which meant I could get off to do most of that. But you know what, this time of year, I get so crabby because it's just, just too much pressure. So I'm going to say, this is it. You can choose two things. And I love you to bits. And I'd love you to have every opportunity where your friends are. But I can only do two. And then I think on top of that, I tend to see more parents and, you know, dropping one child off here and one child off here and each day of the week. And I'm thinking, we used to share that before. We kind of picked each other's kids up someday and you pick up mine that day. And I think that collective of parenting can take some pressure off as well. Yeah, that's so important what you're saying about parent wellbeing. Working in schools, we're talking a lot at the moment about needing to focus on teacher wellbeing as a foundation for supporting wellbeing in kids in schools. Well, look at families. You know, if, if parents are run ragged trying to keep up with the neighbours and get their kids here, there and everywhere, um, especially if those kids are not overly enthusiastic ah. about going somewhere, it, you've got to think at the end of the day, is this worth it? Is this healthy for us as a family? Now, you touched just briefly on um, adolescence and we know that that's a whole different time frame and, and, and I know there are a lot less... Um, uh, adolescents competing at sport levels at the use of the t- there's a big kind of drop off around there is, 12, so, 13. Yeah, a yeah. lot of complex reasons. Some of the girls just once again get don't like the way the uniforms are. They can't wear more covering things. Sometimes yeah, body image becomes a big totally deal. big totally. thing. But also boys again because they're getting so much enjoyment from Fortnite that they prefer to be home on a Saturday morning where it's warm, um, eating endless pieces of toast while they play, and they're still connecting with their friends. So maybe we need to look for some more interesting things that they might like to do, but could the need for them to be with their friends be part of the motivation for them to continue some sorts of activities that are beneficial? Well, I think it's interesting that girls are more likely to choose activities to be with their friends, whereas boys are more likely to choose them for competitive reasons. Um, that's a huge sweeping statement. <laughs> oh, no, the difference is right there. <laughs> I, think, I think when it comes to adolescence, I'd almost say that the, um, the reverse messages need to be put out there. So when it comes to these pre-primary and primary school kids, we need to be like pulling back and, and creating more opportunities for free space and time. When it comes to adolescence, I think that there is a misconception that because the work gets harder and harder, especially when you start hitting year 10, mm that extracurricular activities are getting in the way of the the really serious work at hand. Whereas in reality, we know that kids that keep up their sport, keep up their music, keep up their dance, whatever their their passion might be, do better in their academic subjects than kids that let it go so they can concentrate on their studies. So I think that's a message that really needs to be understood. And the kids need to understand that, that they're not doing themselves any favours by thinking they'll stop playing their instrument because they've got so much other work to do. And we know that those sorts of things not only bring joy, but the brain is really good after it's had a break and it's got a high dose yeah, of oxygen. Yeah, that gives them more capacity for neuro- the... chemicals, yeah. and yeah. we know that that concentrates. And it's the same with us as adults. One of the things I talk about in terms of adolescent wellbeing is finding something that does give a spark. And sometimes our extracurricular activities do that. So I know those girls that I used to work with as a drama teacher who were into seriously great drama. 
Um, they were the dance graduates and things. And my goodness, their face would come alive with a charade session. But I also noticed that there were some um, of our students who that would just be the worst thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, isn't it, that juggling act as parents that somewhere along the line, possibly when they were younger, you may have noticed that there was a spark with something. And sometimes it might be around animals. And I know that some really difficult young teens, girls and boys that I've ended up getting into um, helping out at animal shelters, the difference it made them being able to have something they felt worthwhile about, but they absolutely loved being around animals and helping them. So sometimes we need to be a little bit more outside thinking the box. Out, yeah, thinking outside the box. I, yeah, I agree. And if you can get your teen into something like that, fantastic. But I also think it's really important not to feel that you're, you're failing no. badly if you don't. You no. know, it's like it, having teenagers is like nailing jelly to a tree, isn't it? <laughs> Let's look at one other thing. We talk about the competitiveness of some of our things that children get rewarded yep. with. What about the parents <laughs> who are terrible? You say with a whisper. I there. do because we don't always we don't want to be um, um, that sort of a parent. But you know, um, and I know there's lots of new rules coming out, aren't there, around a lot of our sporting codes? Because, oh, our parents on the sidelines. Yes, stuff. yeah, and that must be embarrassing for children as well. So. Is that part of the nature that parenting oh. is a bit more competitive or is this just people with less emotional skills? Well, you know, I think our understanding of what com- competition means has changed over time. And if you go back to sort of the 1920s, even maybe 1940s, 50s, then competition meant aiming for the same goal as somebody else. And so you could be in competition with someone, aiming for a goal with them, And if they fell over, you would pick them up and help them on that way. And so in that sense, as much as you still have a sense of aiming to win, you're learning to collaborate. You're learning about team spirit and getting along with other people. And those are key important aspects of competition. Whereas nowadays, Mm -hmm. it seems competition is more likely to mean a zero-sum game. Yes. You can only win when other people lose. And it's a sort of win-at-all-costs mentality, isn't it? So... Mm. Not that I've got anything against competitive sport. I think it'd be great if it encourages team spirit and getting along with others, learning to deal with disappointment, celebrating wins, so many good things. But it has to be in a sporting sense in terms of developing as a person. Yeah. I, I love that. So my younger one, we tried dancing, which he really liked for, I think, one class until he realised he was the only boy. And then he hated dancing. And well, we tried loads of things when they were young. You know, they did dance, they did martial arts, they tried a bit of this, and they, you know, they did some a circus, yeah. So you don't know what they like. they just got to give it a go, I think, and see what sticks. Um, and go back to it if they want to go back to it. So you've got a child who's seriously, I want to do this, want to do this, want to do this, my friends are doing it, and you often pay the money. But week three or four, they're done. They just, <laughs> yeah. they, they've decided they just hate it, don't want to do it. So what, what suggestions you got for parents out there around that one? Because I hear it so often. Yeah. Well, I think just you saying that's helpful, isn't it? Just knowing you're not alone is no. helpful, really. <laughs> it's not unusual, for sure. So one level, you can sort of preempt it a bit. So you can say, well, you know what? I'm not going to buy you the brand new uniform or, or, the, pay your fees. or the whatever <laughs> until you have tried this for two weeks or show me you like it. So if you could get a trial period of a few weeks, grab that. And then if it's not going to work out, that so be it. If it gets to the point where there's a commitment that needs to be made, then uh, depending on the age of your child and their sort of temporal horizon, you know, how far ahead they're looking – 
I would say for a primary school child, try and say, well, you know, let's, I want you to commit for the term. Yeah. Let's commit for the term. And then in, if in week five they're saying, I just don't want to go, I'd be saying, well, you know what, we talked about this. And if you don't want to do this in the long term, that I get that. That's fine. But we said we'd give it a term. A reason for that is because things are really exciting when we start them and we learn loads of stuff really quickly. But then suddenly it seems like we're not learning that much and it's a bit more effort and it's not as new. But if we can get over that, then sometimes something can be really good. So let's just get over that and see how we feel. But obviously, if your child is in abject misery and, and hating yeah. something, yeah. it doesn't matter. But no. again, you've got to think, does this really matter in the big picture? Helen, I'd like to thank you again for your time today and for your wisdom and uh, wish you all the best with the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Maggie. It was really great. Great to be here. So we've really dived in and explored extracurricular activities in enormous depth. I'm hoping that it hasn't left you (laughs) more confused. I'm hoping it's given you incredible clarity around the choices you need to make for your individual children within your family to ensure that you have more benefits than challenges as a consequence of choosing extracurricular activities. Recently, I was with my daughter-in-law and my one of my granddaughters, and we were at a dance a class on a Saturday morning. And um, halfway through Miss Ellie's uh, dance class, in came a dad with three boys in taekwondo outfits and a little girl ready for dance, and she ran on in. And he sat next to me, and I said, wow, you look like you've been busy. He said, yeah, yeah, I do Saturday mornings and some days it works. And yeah, today we're a bit late. And that's what every parent needs to know. Some days you're going to get there on time and some days your kids are going to be really happy. Some days they're not, but we're not lousy parents. So a really great place to start is to have a giant piece of paper and look out the plan, the plan for the next semester of whatever activities we're going to have. Put them down, children's names, what they might like to have a go at, how much time mum, dad or whoever's the carer who's going to be running them around. So we actually get a really honest visual map. And as our children look to choose what they want to do for themselves, then what we're going to look at is those days, what commitments are our children prepared to make to ensure the house runs smoothly after we get them home? So they need to commit to being able to do their homework quickly or if it's their turn to do a chore like feed the dog, unpack the dishwasher, that needs to be on the plan. So everything's up there so we can remind them gently later because that will reduce the stress that can come from just planning the activity without planning the follow-up. Getting organised, having the conversation, doing a plan and then following it through. Next time on Parental As Anything... Play. They all love playing hide and seek. Loretta, my eldest, she is a bit of a contortionist and she'll fit into very small spaces and nobody will find her for ages. Vinnie will hide repeatedly in the same place and Velvet hasn't quite learnt how to hide yet at all, so she just sort of stands somewhere with her eyes shut. I'll talk to two amazing experts on this. One who took her passion for play all the way to the United Nations and another who took his passion for play all the way to ABC for kids. Is that the right tune? (laughs) 
Bluey! That's next time on Parental Is Anything with me, Maggie Dent. So make sure you subscribe on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all of your friends about us, especially your fellow mums, dads and carers. And if you want to get in touch, you can flick an email to me at parentalisanything at your.abc.net.au.